It is so good to be here this morning. I'm really glad to be here, and I'm really glad that you're here. You could have gone anywhere this morning. There's a bunch of places I know that are open right now serving breakfast, and you guys are here, and so thank you for being here. We're so thankful that, that you, uh, you joined us today. Can you tell that we have fun around here? We do. We have a good time. And you know, life is serious, and there are very important things, and, and I would just say the reality is that at church, we are about things that are of eternal significance, things that really matter, but we have a good time. And we have a good time as we work those things out, as we care for each other, as we love each other, because Jesus rose, and the gospel is good news. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Now, um, the resurrection, it makes everything new. And right before Jesus enters Jerusalem and is crucified and raises again, he goes and raises a good friend of his, Lazarus. And this is what he says as he's raising Lazarus. He says, um, to, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says, do you believe this? And that's, that's the key is do we believe these things? Have we put our faith in Jesus? And that's the point of today's passage. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 20. And we're going to read a lot of John chapter 20. And when I was in seminary, they told me never read long passages in church. So... You know, I'm, I'm already just disregarding my preaching professors because we're going to read John chapter 20. It's so, it's so good. And um, so just to bring you up to speed, last week we celebrated Palm Sunday, which was Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And then on Friday we celebrated the crucifixion of Jesus. We call it Good Friday, the worst event in history, but the best event and today we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things that stands out as you read this week is that in Scripture, as you read the week in Scripture, one of the things that stands out is nobody had any idea what was going on. Every time they thought something was happening, it wasn't what they thought. And there was one person throughout the entire account that always knew exactly what was happening, and that's Jesus. On Palm Sunday, the disciples are really excited because Jesus has talked about all these things and how they're going to be prominent in, in God's kingdom, and they think, okay, this is it. This is the day that we are going to be put in charge of everything, and they see the huge crowds cheering for Jesus. And they think, okay, this is our day, and they're excited. And the Pharisees, they hate Jesus so much, and they will do anything to see him dead. And they just feel like, we're losing this battle. Um, there's no way. Look at these crowds. Nothing we do is of any account. And so every, you know, the disciples think it's great. The Pharisees are really discouraged and frustrated. The crowds, they want political salvation. And they know Jesus is the Messiah, but Jesus comes to give them what they need instead of what they want. And you want to know something? That is no different in our life today. Jesus is here to give us what we need, not necessarily what we want. And so that's what he does. So that was, that was Palm Sunday. Good Friday, everything switches. And the disciples are completely bewildered. They, they, they can't believe what they're seeing happening. All their dreams are shattered. This, this person that they believed in, that they've trusted, 
It's like nothing is happening the way they think it's going to. And the Pharisees, who were so upset, are now so excited because they finally get what they want. They get to kill Jesus. And so that's what's happening in the crowds. Instead of chanting Hosanna, they're chanting crucify him. And so Jesus dies, and then Sunday's coming. And today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And what we find out is that the disciples were so disappointed. They were so committed. They had believed in something, and in a moment they found out in their minds, it's like, okay, we, we were misguided. And then as they start to hear about the resurrection, you see how slow they are to embrace it. They don't want to make that mistake again. But we see just how amazing what Jesus does is. And so um, Jesus, from the very beginning, he knew what was going to happen. None of this was a surprise to him. In fact, in Mark chapter 2, um, Jesus talks about, just in, in talking about people, he says that it's not those who are healthy that need a physician, but those who are sick. And Jesus says, I came to save not the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus was here on this earth. He had a purpose, and he came to save sinners. And so this morning... The three things we're going to see in John is, number one, that the resurrection of Jesus proves that everything that Jesus said about himself was true. So this historical event that really happened proves that Jesus is who he said he was. The second thing that the resurrection does is that it calls us to put our faith in Christ, to be willing to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. And finally, it provides unshakable hope for the future. Unshakable hope, both in this life and in the life to come, all because of the res resurrection of Jesus. So, um, you guys ready to read John? Um, I, I will just say this. The disciples, they're these scattered, shatter, shattered, discouraged people. But the resurrection of Jesus transformed their, their life Every single one of them dies a martyr's death. They're all tortured and killed, with the exception of John. The one writing our account, he's the only one that dies of old age. And if we have time this morning, I'm going to show you that. It's in here. So let's, uh, let's look at this first slide here, I think. Oh, point it toward the computer. That's not helping. Oh, this is going to be a tough morning. <laughs> all, right, so, all right, sound people, it is green. So I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it's user error. So at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he cleanses the temple. He, he goes in and he just says, I'm in charge. This is my house. And the Pharisees, they say to him, what sign do you give of these things? And this is how Jesus answers. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus, at the very beginning, says, I'm going to die, I'm going to be dead for three days, and I'm going to rise from the dead. And what we find out is that the disciples, they're, they're, they're not looking for Jesus. They completely missed it. But at the very end of the story, we'll find out that the Pharisees, they remember that Jesus said this. 
And so we'll look at that. So I want to just, just talk about historical realities. You know, when you read the Bible, it is different than any other book. I've read other religious books, and they have this sense of once upon a time. But you know what's amazing with the Bible? Nobody would ever make up the things that are in the Bible. When they, when they talk about it, a lot of times people, in fact, my kids this week were saying, why does it list all these names? It's because the Bible happened in real life. This person talked to this person, and they were in this city, and then they walked to this place. The kinds of details that nobody could wake up if they weren't there. And so as you read this account, it's important for us to know that this is a historical fact. You know, you read history books, and everybody puts their own spin on history. You've heard that the victors write history, right? But one of the things that we can have... The Bible is a history book, but it is a history book like no other history book. People make things up and they write things in history books that didn't really happen or they change them. Every single thing recorded in the Bible happened exactly the way it's recorded. Now, that doesn't mean it's not written with a purpose. It is written with a purpose. Each historical detail is, is presented for a specific reason. But it's real, and it happened. And the resurrection of Jesus is not a cleverly de devised tale. It's true. And so um, let's uh, advance to the next slide. Matthew 27, 62. So Jesus has died, and then listen to this. We find the disciples, they're not looking for Jesus. We'll see that in a moment. But the Pharisees remember that Jesus said he would rise. Look at this, Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. The next day, that is after the preparation of the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Go to the next slide, and it says, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. And they went and they made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting a guard. The Pharisees give the disciples way too much credit because they're not out trying to figure out some kind of a plan. These were men who genuinely, in their heart, believed in Jesus. They were following Jesus, and they were crushed. Their dreams were crushed, and they weren't out making some kind of a plan. And Jesus knew that that is how the disciples would respond, and he actually told them that. That's one of the great things for the disciples, and we'll look at Peter later. One of the great things for Peter is that all the things that Peter would do wrong and all the things that the disciples would do wrong, Jesus, before they did it, said, you guys are going to do these things. And so afterwards, as they remembered everything and they thought about Jesus' love, they realized it wasn't based on their performance. They realized, oh man, I blew it. Look at all these terrible things that I did. And then they thought back and said, oh, wait a second. Jesus knew that was going to happen. He told me it was going to happen, and he still loved me. Isn't that amazing that that the way Jesus is, Mark uh, 14, 27, Jesus says to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And when you see the initial record of this, the disciples are nowhere to be found. 
But there is somebody who is there. Look at John chapter 20, verse 1. Let's read this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran out, and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That is John, who's writing this account. And she runs out to him, and she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. You know, Mary is the first one to go looking for Jesus. So I had an event in my personal life that happened a couple of years ago, and it made me see this story so differently. I've read it so many times. But my dad passed away two years ago. And I emotionally responded so differently than I thought I would. When my dad passed away, I'd, he, he had come to know the Lord, and I was looking forward to him. I wasn't to him going to see the Lord. He had a lot of serious health problems. I wasn't even sure if I'd be upset or if I'd cry because I was prepared for this, and we had talked about it. And I, all, I definitely thought I didn't care about his body. When, when a person dies, they go to be with their Lord, and their body is just an empty shell, and I didn't think it would matter to me. And after my dad passed away, I realized how significant his body was to me. And I remember they, bought a, they brought a van to pick my dad up, and it was this old beat-up van, and they stuck his body in the back of it, and it really bothered me. And I thought, that should be like a brand-new, nice, clean car. And, and I, I just thought about how much I loved my dad, how much he loved me, and I knew he wasn't there. But what happened with his body was so significant. And now I read this story about Mary and how much she loved Jesus and how after he's died and they've made these quick preparations, she shows up. And it goes on and it says this in verse Three, she's concerned about where her, her, his body is. One of the things about Mary, and we'll read in verse 3 in a moment, but one of the things about Mary is, you know, she was possessed by seven demons, and Jesus cast those demons out. She followed him in his ministry. She ministered to him. She cared to him. She watched all of these things happen. And so she goes and she tells the disciples, where, what have they done with Jesus? In verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going to the tomb and both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It's kind of funny, but John tells in this story that he outran Peter. <laughs> and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter came and he followed him in and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, was not lying with the linen clothes, but was folded up in a place by itself. You know, this wasn't a crime scene. There were not a bunch of people who ran in there and overpowered some guards and rolled away a tomb and then went in there and grabbed a body and ran out with it. That's not what happened. Jesus rose from the dead and he took that thing and he folded it and he set it down somewhere. Like when you just walk in there and as you read that account, you can see that Jesus rose from the dead. And then it says in verse 8, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. So this is now John talking about himself. He went in and he saw and he believed. 
So he remembered all these things Jesus said. He had completely lost hope, and he saw this, and he believed. But it says in verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And so they went back to their homes. So he believes in Jesus, but he completely misses that this was not just something that happened. This was something that the Old Testament said needed to happen. And they had missed that. In fact, in Luke 24, you read the account of a couple disciples, and they're walking back, and, they, and Jesus shows up and actually has a conversation with them, but they don't recognize that it's him, which is not a surprise. Jesus has a glorified body, so I'm sure he doesn't look exactly the same. The other thing is, have you ever met somebody that you knew, but you met him in a place other than where you knew them from, and you just missed it? Like maybe somebody you know from church, you see them in a restaurant, but you're just not expecting to see them there. And it's completely out of context. They just watched Jesus die. No way they're expecting to see him. That wouldn't even be on their mind. And it says, this is what they say to Jesus. They say, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel Yes, and besides all this, now it's been the third day since these things happened. So they're saying, we had hoped that he was the one. And they're starting to hear this news about how Jesus has risen from the dead. And then Jesus says to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And we realize at the end of that story, they realize, okay, that was Jesus. So look at verse 11. The disciples have gone back home. That's kind of an odd thing. They go there, they see this, they believe, and they just go back home. And we find out they locked themselves in a room. But Mary, verse 11, stood weeping outside the tomb. And she wept and she stooped to look into the tomb And she saw the two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Just a note about angels, and we pointed this out earlier, um, a a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. But when, when angels sinned against God, He created hell. Matthew 25 says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't made for people. Now, people will go there, but hell was created for the devil and his angels. God makes mankind in his own image. So you and I, we're different than the angels. We're different than any other creation because we're made in God's image. And when we sin, God comes up with a plan to redeem mankind. And the angels, the Bible tells us, long to look into salvation. It just doesn't make sense to them. And as you think about angels and the place that God, the the seats that God has given them in this whole redemption story, they're there to announce the birth of Jesus. They're there to minister to him after his temptation. They're there during Gethsemane when Jesus is praying, God, if there's any way, I don't want to go to the cross, but your will be done. And then the angels are there to minister to him. And here after he rises from the dead, there's angels sitting there watching it happen. So they have a front row seat to the redemption of mankind. And then this verse 14, Jesus loves Mary. 
So she's there. He knows what's going on. Look at this. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know it was Jesus. Again, we're not surprised. And he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. She's thinking about the body of Jesus. Just tell me where it is, and I will go take care of his body. And then Jesus says to her, Mary, and she turns to him in an Aramaic. She says, Rabboni, which means teacher. She didn't recognize him because she was weeping. Her eyes were probably full of tears. She wasn't expecting him, and he had a glorified body. But she recognized the love in his voice. He showed up for this woman that he loved, just the way he loves you and I. And verse 18 says that Mary went out and announced to his disciples, I have seen the Lord. And so then we hear, we read later in this story that the disciples have locked themselves in a room. And that's no surprise. They're afraid that the same people who killed Jesus are going to come kill them. So they're locked in a room and Jesus shows up and he pronounces peace. And he shows them all his hands and feet. He tells them to do ministry. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus shows up. He tells them to get to work. Now, we're about to look at Thomas. And as we think about Thomas, that guy gets a bad rap. He is known as Doubting Thomas. But all the other disciples, Jesus just shows up and says, here I am. Here's my hands and feet. And, and everybody gives them, you know, lets them off the hook and gives, the disciples a hard, or gives Thomas a hard time. But this is described, and and we're about to read what happens with John. And as we read this, God is calling you and I to respond. So let's just read this. 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This is a man who was crushed. He put his whole life in Jesus' hands. He was following Jesus, and then nothing happened the way he expected. And he's just like, I am not making that mistake again. And then, eight days later, so Jesus lets Thomas hang out for eight days, hearing all these things. And just saying, I'm not believing till I see it myself. And God gives him a week, more than a week, to just dwell and to think about that and to be in that state. And all the other disciples have seen it, but Thomas hasn't seen it. So eight, later, eight days later, his disciples are inside, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas looks at him and he says, my Lord and my God. What a powerful thing that John lets us see Jesus through the eyes of Thomas. And he looks at Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. And there's all kinds of people that will say that Jesus wasn't really God. He never claimed to be God. Um, this was some made-up thing later. But Thomas was there. He knew Jesus. There is no way he was going to put his faith again in something empty. 
And he looked Jesus in the face and he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, you've believed because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet who have believed. Who's that talking about? See, that's talking about you. That's talking about you. That's this historical record. Jesus says something to Thomas, but when he says it to Thomas, he has you in mind. And as we read this story, um, we weren't there. We didn't see it, but we'll be blessed if we can believe, though we haven't seen it. Now, we do get to read a perfect record of it. And so this is the second thing that the, rec- the resurrection does. It was a historical account. Our, our, it is, our faith is based on truth. But this is a call for each of us to put our faith in Christ and to leave everything to follow Jesus. Look at verse 30. And we can, it, yeah, there we go. Thank you. We have good sound people back there. They can figure some things out. Or a good sound person back there. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. The the death and resurrection of Jesus provides new life. It provides new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, and we'll put this up there for you too. It says this, and this, by the way, is my favorite verse. It's my favorite verse for myself, but it's also my favorite verse for people I talk to. I've met so many people who have broken lives. They've made so many poor decisions in their life. They have done so many things that injure and damage a person's soul, things that are hard to live with. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus makes us new. That old life, that is a different person. You're regenerated, you're new, you are forgiven. It is never too late. No matter what happens in a person's life, it is never too late to repent and to come to Christ and allow him to put your life back together. It is never too late. And when he does that, you have a new life. And here's the other amazing thing is that when you get a new life, it's not just that you're forgiven for your past. But Jesus says he puts the Holy Spirit in every person. And one of the things I look back to when I became a Christian, I prayed so many times to receive Christ as a kid growing up, and it just never took. You ever known somebody like that that went to church and prayed all these prayers? But when you look at the way they live their life, you're like, okay, I don't see God in your life. That was me. And I wondered after I prayed, am I going to, is it real? What's the difference between this time and all the other times I prayed. And about a year later, I looked at my life and everything was different. And I realized I didn't change myself. God changed me through the Holy Spirit, through my desires that he had given me. And so it goes on here and it says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in God, Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The next side says this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake he made Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God put our sin on Jesus, gives us credit for his righteousness. And as Christians and as the church, that's why we're here, is to be ambassadors and to communicate that message to people. Jesus provides also, the resurrection of Jesus, unshakable hope for the future. Unshakable hope. So think about the way Jesus pursued Peter after his failure. He tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And even before Peter denies him, he says, when you repent, Peter, when you repent, when you return to me, care for people. So before Peter fails, Jesus says, you're going to deny me, and then you're going to come back, and after you come back, do ministry. He tells him that beforehand, and Peter, Peter and all the disciples are saying, we'll never deny you. We're never going to blow it. And then afterwards, Jesus finds Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And it's interesting because Peter denies Jesus at night around a fire. And Jesus shows up and gets some fish and cooks Peter some breakfast around a fire. The same circumstances where Peter denied Jesus, except then it was dark, it was night, it was scary, and now it's daytime. It's in the morning. It's this Jesus who loves you and he's making you food, but it's right around the fire. And he says, tend my sheep, care for my sheep. I mean, what hope that Jesus knows everything you'll ever do wrong before you did it. He died for you anyway and he loves you. And so Peter, accepting this love and this forgiveness of Jesus, then this is an amazing thing that happens. John chapter 21, you can read it. But, but Jesus then tells Peter, um, one day people are going to take you where you don't want to go. And he basically communicates to him, you are going to be killed for me. And Peter is so funny. You know, Jesus is not done with Peter yet. So when, when Jesus says to Peter, you're going to die for me, uh, Peter turns around, he looks at John, who's writing this record, and he says, yeah, but what about that guy? What's going to happen to him? He's like a little kid pointing at John saying, but what about him, the disciple that Jesus loves? And Jesus says, well, if I want him to remain till I return, what's that to you? Coming to Christ is when we recognize who Jesus is, and we recognize that he is valuable, he loves us, he's in control, he has all power over everything, and we come to him and we just say, Jesus, you're the only one that I need. You're the only one I want. We put our life in his hands and we trust him. And it doesn't mean we won't suffer. It doesn't mean that we won't face hardships. But here's the thing that the disciples learned through all that they went through. When they were facing hardships and difficulties, God had a purpose in it. He knew what he was doing. He was always in control. And so for the rest of those disciples' lives, no matter what hardship they face, they know Jesus is in this. Jesus has my best interest at heart. Jesus will get me through this. And they were completely committed to Christ. And that's what, a Christ, that's what the Christian life is. And I just want you all to know that here at Foothills, we got a bunch of people and, and we're like Peter uh, we do and say dumb things sometimes. Uh, we are not always the people that God wants us to be. 
but God is working on us and we love Jesus and it is our goal to learn everything that he said and to obey it. And we're a place we need love and we love people and we care for people. But our greatest hope for anybody here, if you don't know Jesus, is that you will put your faith in Jesus. And for those of us who do, this whole story is such an encouragement that we have hope in this life and we have hope for the future. Look at Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us everything? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? If you have Jesus, you have everything. And he'll get you through anything you face. But the most important thing is that he provides reconciliation with the God of this universe. So I want you to know this, is, this is a, has been a great morning to celebrate this. I wish you the absolute best, and I pray that you will have every blessing in your life that comes through a personal relationship with Christ. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your kindness, for your love, the amazing sacrifice. Lord, what you did in bearing the wrath of God on our behalf that is unimaginable and unthinkable, and yet, Lord, you did it. Lord, your yoke is easy and your burden is light because you did it all. God, I pray that there would not be a person here that doesn't appreciate who you are and what you did for them, and Lord, that we would all put our faith in you, and for those of us who have put our faith in you, that we would continue to trust you and enjoy everything in life, even the difficulties and challenges, knowing that your hand is in it, in your name. Amen.